First Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to dive back into First Thessalonians this morning. Before we do that, though, I, I want to just take a couple minutes and share with you um, about last week. I know many of you have been asking, and I, I shared a little bit on Wednesday night, and I just want to share for a few moments this morning, and I'll try to make this brief. I'll try to keep this to five minutes if I can. Um, Let me just start out by saying that my trip to Mexicali last weekend for me was a life-changing experience. Um, God used that in my life in a tremendous way. And um, I just also want to thank The folks from the Oasis that went with me, went with us. We went as a as a group from the Oasis because without them, this weekend would have never been possible. And I know that they uh, aren't expecting this, but I want to recognize each of them uh, in front of their church family today because not only were they awesome representatives of Jesus down there. They were awesome representatives of this church down there as well. And so I'm just going to ask each of them to stand uh, as I call their name, and then we'll show some appreciation. Nathan Lamberth, would you stand? Miguel and Nellie Martinez, Lillian and George Herrera, would you guys please stand? Would you guys give them some appreciation? Without these folks, that trip last weekend would not have been possible. And I'll also say this. uh, I have the best interpreter that anyone could have in George. Yeah. He just does an amazing job. Um, So a couple things. One... For me on Saturday night to stand... In that little country church, about 30 minutes outside of Mexicali, that church that you all helped put that roof on, that church that you've helped, you know, put some infrastructure to and and just change the, the real look of it at all, it was amazing just to stand there and be in that place. But then, to be there in that place where... At the end of the service, um, there were probably 50 people that came forward that night to respond to the message. And after the entire service was over, Pastor Miguel asked all of the people that were there that night, and they had about 50 or 60 visitors that night, people that normally would not be there, show up that night. And they, he had all of them line up on this side of the auditorium And he asked all of us from the Oasis to come up and stand at the front. And every last one of those families, those people, children came up and thanked us. To look into their faces and to see the appreciation that they have for us as your representatives for what you all have done down there 
And each of those families got a bag of food that to us would not have been a big deal. But you've got to understand, the majority of the people that come to Pastor Miguel's church, we would consider poor. It was just a great experience for me. It gave me a, an opportunity to put faces with the people that were helping down there. And I would just encourage any of you, if you ever have the opportunity to go with us, to go. I don't think you'll come back the same. I know I didn't. And I'm looking forward to going again. Um, second, there was a hunger down there for the Word of God, just like there is to some degree here. Those people really responded to us and to our ministry. Um, Sunday, we spoke at a church in the city of Mexicali. And uh, there, I, I turned to George after the message was over, and they were asking people to come forward and respond. And I, I turned to him, I said, there looks like there was a hundred people that came forward, and, and we think there was at least a hundred people that came forward. Out of that, there was at least 15 of those that said that they wanted to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and be baptized. And so I wanted to let you all know, yeah, that today, this afternoon, in Mexicali, there will be people being baptized from last week, today. So be thinking about that this afternoon as well. And then one other thing, just to show you how God is using this little church in Chandler, Arizona to affect bigger things. On our way down, I had the opportunity to ride with George. And about halfway down, I don't even think we had gotten to Yuma yet, he turns to me and he says, you, you really don't understand what's happening here this weekend. And I was like, well, sort of, but no, probably not. And he wanted to let me know, based upon what he knew, that the opportunity that we had to go into these churches in Mexicali for who I was, was absolutely, and I'm not overstating it, historical, unprecedented. In this denomination, they have 48 churches in Mexicali. They have never had anyone in their history outside of their own denomination speak. I was the first one that was ever allowed to come in and speak outside of their denomination. And you know why that happened? That happened because of what our church has been doing and is doing in our partnership with Pastor Miguel's church. We, we are opening up doors that have never been opened up before. And just one other thing. So they were all asking me by the end of the weekend, when can I come back and speak again? And we're even talking about doing some bigger things there in Mexicali in the future if, if it's God's will. So I, I wanted to bring that report back to you because I want you folks to know that you and what you have done and what you are doing, not just here in this area, but there will be people one day that you and I see in glory 
in heaven who will come up to us and goes, oh, so you're one of those folks from the oasis. Well, guess what? I was one of those folks that was touched by your ministry way down here in this little town outside of Mexicali. Anyway, thank you guys. It's amazing what, what's happening there. All right. Let your pastor reset here a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 6 this morning. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first five verses of 1 Thessalonians. And in that passage, Paul was talking to all of us about the reality of the day of the Lord. And we talked about what is the day of the Lord. And Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 5 that this day of the Lord is going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. It's going to catch so many people off guard. So many people by surprise when God intervenes in a very decisive way. And yet he tells us, because we are children of the light, because we are children of the day, because we have a relationship with God, and therefore we have been illuminated by the Spirit of God into the things of God, he says in verse 4, this day should not overtake us like a thief would. That we, as the children of God, should not be caught off guard or or caught by surprise by the day of the Lord. And now, today, he's going to tell us what are the things that we can do in our lives to make sure that that doesn't happen. Because remember, the day of the Lord speaks about this time in history where God is going to come, and instead of like he did before where he offers salvation, now he comes to, in a sense, pour out his judgment. And the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period of time. It is a, it is a period of human history on this earth. And it begins with the rapture of the church where those who truly believe in Christ and have a relationship with him, as we've learned about earlier in first Thessalonians are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, to be reunited with all the saints of all time who've went ahead of us in death. And we are then with the Lord in heaven during the tribulation period here on earth. Then at the end of the tribulation period, we come back with the Lord at the battle of Armageddon, where he puts down all worldwide rebellion against him once and for all and sets up his earthly thousand year kingdom, which you and I will be a part of. And that whole entire period from the rapture to the end of the thousand year millennial reign of Christ is in the Bible considered the day of the Lord. And Paul is telling all of us, don't as Christians, especially as Christians, don't be overtaken by what's happening on earth. Don't be surprised about the things that you see happening because God has predicted all of these things. And these things that you see going on around the world, especially in light of living in the last days, should not catch us off guard, should not catch us by surprise. These are things that we should have been and should be prepared for. In fact, we should ultimately be prepared for the rapture, even though we don't know when it's going to come. We should always be prepared 
prepared because it could come at any time. And therefore, we need to stay in a sort of a period of preparation at all times throughout our life. Which is why then in verse 6, as he builds on all of this information, Paul says this to us, to every Christian. So then, we must not sleep as the rest, but must stay alert and sober. First of all, notice that there are three imperatives in this verse. What I mean by that is when the Bible uses the English word must. We must not sleep, we must stay alert, and we must stay sober. In fact, he repeats the whole must staying sober in verse 8, if you look down at verse 8. In other words, what first of all I want us to see is that these aren't optional things. Like many Christians, I think sometimes we read the Word of God, and we almost think like, well, these are take it or leave it. Uh, I could do this, but if I choose not to, no big deal. And God is saying to us, no, no, you don't understand. From my perspective, in your life, these are not optional. These aren't, well, if I feel like doing it or if I feel like being it, that's good. But if I don't, it'll be okay anyway. No, God is saying, you don't understand These are the things that you must do based upon the fact that the day of the Lord is coming, that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, that many people will be unprepared, ill-equipped, caught off guard. He said, so first of all, we must not sleep ever. It means literally don't be caught lying down. Don't be indifferent. Don't be complacent or apathetic or find yourself in a spiritually lethargic position in life. We as Christians, above everyone else, must never be sleeping in our lives. We must never be caught in some kind of spiritual stupor or or fog where we just sort of just, you know, bump along in life. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must never be asleep. We must be fully aware to what's going on around us and what's going on with us at all times. We cannot afford to be asleep. It is why the New Testament much of the time talks to Christians about getting awake. We must awaken to who we are and to when we're living and to what we should be doing instead of falling asleep. I believe that one of the reasons why the church suffers so is because even if there are Christians in the church, there are so many Christians today who are sleeping. They're not fully awake and engaged in what we should be engaged in as followers of Jesus Christ. And then he adds, and we must stay alert. This speaks about about being watchful if you will, about being attentive, about being vigilant. It was a term that was used a lot even in Paul's day for people in the military. And you and I can even appreciate it today. It's it's about someone who's at a post or at a position that is very strategic and they cannot afford to fall asleep, first of all, on duty 
and to not be vigilant and watchful and on guard about what's going on around them. Because not only do their lives depend on it, but other people's lives depend on their being alert as well. You know, we could obviously use other occupations even in our day and age that we would hope people would stay alert. I think about traffic controllers at an airport. They can't afford to fall asleep or not be alert while they're on duty. And God is saying to us as a Christian, we can never afford to be asleep. We can never afford not to be alert. Are we being vigilant? watchful and truly attentive and living our life with a a carefulness that it takes in the days in which we live, especially living in anticipation of the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. And then he adds, and we also must stay sober. This word speaks about being conscientious, about being diligent. But also, obviously, it speaks about having a presence of mind or a clarity of mind. And we certainly can understand that because we use the word sober when we're trying to describe someone, obviously, who's not inebriated. And if someone is sober, then that means they obviously have a presence of mind. They they can think clearly because, obviously, there's a point where alcohol begins to cloud our behavior and our thinking and all of that. and, And we can't think as clearly. And so that term was brought into the spiritual realm to use it to describe followers of Jesus Christ and and our character as well. And he's saying we must, in the time in which we live, stay clear headed. We can't let stuff get in there and cloud our thinking so that we don't have a presence of mind and so that we're not conscientious and diligent in the things that we should be doing. So that's how Paul starts out. He said, if you and I as followers of Jesus Christ would just take those imperatives seriously, then we would always be prepared whenever the day of the Lord comes. We would never be overtaken. We we would never be caught off guard. Because if we're never asleep, and we are always alert, and we are always sober, then we put ourselves in a very good position in our lives. And so that's what God is calling us to today. He's asking us, are we prepared for the day of the Lord? If I were to ask you all this question today, if you knew for sure, even though we don't know any date that the Lord is coming, that's not biblical. But if you knew for sure that the Lord was coming by this time next week, what in this week that you had left here on earth, what would you change? And do you know that the only right answer for that is nothing? Because if there's some kind of change that you feel that you would need to take knowing the Lord was coming, then you should be doing that now. I should be doing it now. We shouldn't be living our lives like, well, if I knew the Lord was coming, then I'd do this and not do this. Paul's saying it should never be that way with the Christian. That we should always be living in anticipation and expectation of the Lord coming at any time and standing before Him in His presence. And so there's this whole thing in this verse about really always being prepared, always being fit for the day of the Lord. 
Are we ready? Are we prepared? Then Paul says, when you and I have this mindset, this mindset will enable us to also think about protecting ourselves in the days and age in which we live. Which is why then he says, as he moves on in verse 6 and 7 and and 8, he says, so then we must not sleep as the rest, but must stay alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. In other words, he's simply saying, there are certain types of behavior associated with nighttime, and there are certain types of behavior associated with the day. And he says, because we are children of light and children of the day, we should obviously be exhibiting behavior associated with the daytime rather than the nighttime because we are not in darkness. We are not of the darkness. Therefore, the behavior and our lifestyle that we have should not be of the night, but should be of the day. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, but since we are of the day... We must stay sober by putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, our hope of salvation. And obviously you and I as Christians, if we know the word of God at all, we can't read a verse like that without thinking, wait a minute, that reminds me of that whole passage in Ephesians 6 where Paul talks to us about the armor of God and he talks to us about it in the context of our spiritual warfare. And that's what Paul's reminding the Thessalonians of here. He says, not only do we need to be prepared, but we need to be protecting ourselves, our our hearts and our minds. Notice here specifically, he pulls out two of the pieces of armor because they are two very essential pieces like all the rest. But he wants to make a point here in this passage. The breastplate obviously protects the heart. And why the heart, our hearts need protected is because that's where our feelings and emotions are centered. And what you and I feel and how you and I feel affects our decisions greatly. That's why we've got to make sure not that we ever live unemotionally or have no feeling because that's not the way God created us, but that we make sure that our emotions and feelings are kept under the control of the Holy Spirit at all times. And not, not be protected, if you will, by the armor of God. Because if our heart is unprotected, then our feelings and our emotions will get to a certain place where we will start making bad decisions. Decisions that will not set us up for the day of the Lord. Decisions that will not allow us to stay sober and alert and not fall asleep. We cannot allow our heart to go unprotected. And then he says, oh, and by the way, we've got to put the helmet on our head, too, because our mind, our thought life, what we think, that also hugely affects our decisions. What we feel and what we think primarily affects every decision you and I make. And if we don't put the armor of God on our, over our heart and over our head, we either begin to feel certain things and have certain emotions that... that tend to go into bad decisions or we allow our thinking and our thought life to get to a place where we choose bad decisions and choices as well. And that's why he's saying, if you and I don't fall asleep and stay alert and stay sober, it's going to not only lead to a, to a, a preparedness, 
but also to an understanding that we've got to continually protect ourselves. Why? Because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We're in a battle every day. And many Christians, because they are falling asleep or who have fallen asleep and are not alert and are not sober, it's like they're living their life as if there is no spiritual warfare. That there's no spiritual enemy out there trying to attack me and, and, and you know, blow up my life and, and all of that. They're living as if there is no such spiritual warfare. And yet, keep your finger in First Thessalonians. We have a couple minutes here. Go over just a couple chapters back to the book of Ephesians to chapter 6 and let's be reminded of these verses. And let's remember that, again, these are imperatives. These aren't supposed to be optional in our life. God says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I should recognize that I am always engaged in a spiritual battle and a spiritual war. So therefore, how can I be asleep? How can I not be alert and not be sober if I know my spiritual enemy is always there? And, and, and possibly could attack at any moment. How can I let down my guard ever? I'll pay a huge price for it if I do. So that's why Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of the of peace and in all this by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and with every prayer and petition pray at all times in the spirit and to this end notice be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints paul saying are we prepared Are we protecting ourselves or are we allowing inroads for the enemy to get in and begin to affect our thinking and affect our emotions? And then we end up making these bad choices and decisions in life that don't set us up well spiritually. And then Paul says this, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not destine us for wrath, We're not going, our destiny is not judgment and punishment or condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our punishment was taken by Jesus himself on the cross. That's not our destiny. Our destiny, Paul says, is to obtain salvation, the gaining of salvation. You say, well, I thought I was already saved. Yeah. 
But what Paul's talking about here is what Stephen talked about last week, the hope of heaven. It's about the full benefits and blessings associated with our salvation because we haven't experienced the full benefits and blessings of salvation yet. Those won't come till we get to glory. And so he's saying, this is our destiny. This is what you and I have to look forward to. Do we realize that? Are we living in light of that? Are we making our choices and decisions based upon the fact that he goes on to say in verse 10 that whether we are alert or asleep, we are one day going to come to life together with him. That's what heaven is going to be. Being with Jesus forever. And with all of these Paul has two more imperatives to share with us. Because Paul now wants to end this particular passage with these words. And they are words that every Christian today needs to hear. Why? Because again, I fear that many Christians just are living in a stupor and a fog and they just don't get the importance of the community of believers that they should be engaged with on a regular basis. Why do I say that? Because what Paul's about to say reminds all of us that there is no way you and I are not going to start sleeping, not be able to stay alert and sober and not diligently and conscientiously protect ourselves because of the spiritual warfare we are in if we are not intimately engaged in a community of believers that are like-minded about these things. Not just other Christians, but Christians who get it. Christians who say, hey, you know, we need to stay alert. We need to stay sober. We can't fall asleep. We got to protect ourselves, which is why Paul ends with these words. Therefore, based upon what I've just shared with you, encourage one another. Folks, that's not an option. That is an imperative in the Greek language. It means we must, as believers in Jesus Christ, who are part of the community of believers, we must continually encourage each other. The word means also to admonish and exhort one another. And then he says one other one. And we must continually build up each other. Bottom line, that means growth. It means to promote growth in each other. To be part of a a group of believers that are continually growing together. Paul says "This this is not optional, folks. Because there's no way we can do this on our own. We have got to be part of a community of believers who get it. So that we can continually encourage each other. And continually build each other up and edify each other. And it doesn't matter what environment we are in. We must have this kind of spiritual environment. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Even if you're not the only spiritually alert Christian in your family, even if you're part of a family where all of you in that family are spiritually alert, you and I still need to be part of a community of believers like this. Let me ask you this. Are you in a neighborhood where everybody that lives around you is a spiritually alert Christian? 
If not, then how much more do you and I need to be part of a family like this? Let me ask you this. Do you work around coworkers and every coworker that you interact with, say, during the week, they're a spiritually alert Christian? Probably not. So again, how much more then, if you and I are interacting and living in environments where we're not around a lot of spiritually alert Christians, how much more then do we need to be part of a body, a community of people that are? Because we're, we're fighting a losing battle. And that's why Christians have to take even the local church and our fellowship with each other so much more seriously and make it more of a priority because we're losing the battle, folks. We're trying to do this on our own. And we're out there in communities and and at work and even in our families. And we're surrounded by people that are clueless. Maybe they're not even Christians. And if they are Christians, are they spiritually alert? And if they are spiritually alert Christians, are they doing everything they can to encourage you and build you up every day? And if not, that's why Paul says this this needs to be our attitude towards each other. This is why God calls us out and calls us together. Because he understands it better than we do. Because of the days and age in which we live, because of the times in which we live, and the demands of this time, we need to be part of a community of believers that are continually encouraging and building each other up. Otherwise, we'll start falling asleep. We won't stay alert and sober like we need to, like we must in the times in which we live. Which also brings up this very important point about perseverance in all of this. Because you'll notice a couple times in this passage, Paul doesn't just say, Christian, you need to become alert. You need to become sober. He says we need to stay alert and we need to stay sober. Because it's one thing to get to that point. It's another thing to sustain it over the long haul. And that's where a lot of Christians, you know, miss it too. You know, you and I can, can in a sense, work to put ourselves in a place where we become spiritually alert and sober But how long can we sustain that? We have to sustain it for the long haul. Because we don't know when the day of the Lord could come. The day of the Lord is going to come and catch many off guard by surprise. But God says it doesn't have to be that way with you. I want to end this message today by sharing with you Several passages from the Gospels where Jesus talked about this very thing in the same context. No wonder people like Paul picked up on what they heard Jesus had taught and then was able to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to basically write the same thing. So I want you to see today that these thoughts are not just thoughts from the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or or John or anyone else. These thoughts actually first came from the Lord Himself. You can leave 1 Thessalonians for today and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And look at verse 36. We'll begin there. Where Jesus says, 
But as for that day and hour, no one knows it, not even the angels in heaven, except the Father alone. For just like the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. It will be the same at the coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one left. There will be two women grinding grain with the mill. One will be taken, one left. Notice that the day of the Lord is a day of separation and division. It's really going to show who's where. And then notice the next words, verse 42. Therefore, stay alert because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been alert and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Then turn to the Gospel of Mark, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. And begin following at verse 32. Mark 13, verse 32. But as for that day or hour, no one knows it, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father. Watch out. Stay alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. He left his house, put his slaves in charge, assigned to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Stay alert then, because you do not know when the owner of the house will return, whether during evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or at dawn. Or else he might find you asleep when he returns suddenly. What I say to you, I say to everyone, stay alert. One other, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Luke, chapter 12, verse 35. Get dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those slaves whom their master finds alert when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, have them take their place at the table, and will come and wait on them. By the way, that's a message in and of itself. Even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night and finds them alert, blessed are those slaves. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready when the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Lord wants his people to be ready. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to persevere and be protecting ourselves and be part and partners with those who are like-minded when it comes to these things. It is the only way that you and I will navigate the times in which we live. And as Jesus just said, when, then when He comes, He will find us prepared 
and ready when he comes. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would take this message and truly awaken your people like never before. God, may we come to grips with the fact that the day the Lord is approaching and yet it's going to come like a thief in the night. God, help us to truly let your word carry weight in our life. May the things that you tell us not be things that we consider to be optional. Take it or leave it. But may we truly understand that the things that you share with us are imperative for our lives. They are things that we must be about as followers of Jesus Christ. There are far too many who claim to be part of the church who are sleeping or who are falling asleep in the days in which we live. They are walking around in a spiritual stupor. God, I pray today that that would end here. That God, we would let you lead. That we would let you guide us. That we would let you take us to where you want to take us. And that God, we would be willing to go. God, we need you desperately in this day. We need to look to you, God. I pray that all of us would be getting our direction straight from the Master. Straight from heaven itself today, God. And if God, we, if we need to do business with you today, God, may we not hold back. May we let your spirit do what your spirit wants to do today. Lord, we pray that your church would truly be refined and purified and raised up so that, Lord, revival could come in our nation, in our world before Jesus comes. That there would be a great harvest of souls and Christians would awake from the sleep that they have been in and realize, God, in these last days, what's really important. What really is going to matter a million years from now and 10 million years from now. God, may we be captivated by you today and by your love like never before. May we surrender to you, God, like never before. And again, not holding anything back, God. We give it all to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray this prayer, God. Amen. Would you rise up with me today as we sing this song? Let's rededicate ourselves, consecrate ourselves to the Lord today. If some of you want to come here and you want to pray, you come and you pray. Maybe I can ask even our, our leaders of our church and others to be sensitive if others are coming and come and offer to pray with them. I'll be down here as well. Be willing to pray over you today if you want me to. But we need to begin to see change in the church. We need to begin to encourage and build each other up today so that we can become the people of God. 
the children of light, the children of the day that God calls us to be. Let's sing this song as a song of dedication to the Lord this morning.